Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, beginning at verse 16. Jesus replied with this story. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I want to start us out with a little thought experiment. So get yourself kind of in a posture uh, where you can maybe take a breath, close your eyes, and I'm, I want you to just think about something for a moment. And I want you to think about what are the best moments that you have experienced in life? Picture them in your mind. Those ones in which you experience this sense of peace and grace, just kind of overflowing with joy and a sense of abundance in your life. Those times when everything was good and, and beautiful and it's just this joy and a gift to be alive. Think about those moments for just a second. Now, I have more than a hunch that in those moments, among other things, uh, they took place with others, but at least part of the time, you were gathered with others around a table, whether that's you know, at a wedding or at a, a graduation party or whether that's you know, a jet-boiled dinner around a campfire or something like that, sharing a meal, being together with people and just gathered around the table. There is a, a sacramental quality to just being with others over food. A few years ago, our family took a trip to Siena, Italy while I was on sabbatical. Uh, anyone ever been there? Just absolutely beautiful Italian Renaissance village. Um, and unbeknownst to us, we arrived right at the start of the Paleo, which is this absolutely insane horse race that takes place in the middle of the town square. Really dangerous, uh, really wild thing where this rider from each of the city's contrada or, or districts uh, rides for the glory of the neighborhood. Uh, everyone was out there wearing neck scarves and, and you know, flags waving that were representing their neighborhood, their contrada. All the streets were lined with flags. There was this energy, this joy. Everyone was in a good mood getting ready for the, well, all the things that were going to take place. But the thing that struck me 
me the most while I was out there is that while all that stuff was going on, there were groups of people out there getting ready to kind of line the streets with tables. And the evening time would be transformed into this huge feast where everyone was invited. Everyone was there kind of sharing the best of what they had. Each contrada had its own specialty that it kind of brought into the mix. People would literally pull others off the street who were, you know, tourists who were walking by on their way to somewhere else and say, no, no, come, come, be part of the feast, become part of the party. And you know, some people said no. They, they walked on. They, they had other priorities or, you know, maybe they thought they would have a better time doing something somewhere else or, uh, or they just couldn't imagine that the invitation would actually be extended to them and that they would have a good time. But everyone was included. Everyone was invited to that. And I couldn't help but think that this is kind of a picture of the kingdom Everyone is invited, not all will come, but those who do, they bring the best of who they are. Uh, This great wedding feast that John describes at the end of of all things, that every nation, every tribe, every ethnicity, every contrada, every, every group of people bringing its own flavor, its own distinctiveness, and just inviting others to be present with one another, to experience the joy of sitting around a table with each other. We have this deep longing to be in community, to, to really know and be known by each other. And feasts and banquets and parties, they're, they're celebrations. They're these expressions of extreme hospitality where there is uh, space for a community to really flourish. But a lot of the time we can get kind of you know, caught up in just celebrating the, the, the party and, and treating that party as though that is the end in and to itself. That, you know, what happens at the end of the day after you had a great celebration, the, the, the thing is, is gone. And so often in our drive for celebration, which we think of as the end goal of life, we orient ourselves more toward the celebration than we do toward the one who is inviting us to take part in a lifestyle and a lifetime of celebration. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this parable. He says, if you really want to understand the kingdom of God, if you really want to understand what it is that God is up to, picture the kingdom like this. A certain man is preparing a great banquet and he invites many guests. We're kicking off uh, a series of messages this summer on the practice of of hospitality. We're pairing that with the return of our summer supper, so you can sign up for that to ha- you know, be welcomed around the table, uh, someone in our church family, or you can just simply host a dinner with people in your neighborhood. Because at its core, hospitality is about providing a space where the spirit can move. I love how the Australian chef, gourmet chef turned pastor and theologian put it and y'all are kind of like you got me all right you didn't get a a, you know a gourmet chef turned pastor so sorry about that but he put it like this setting a table cooking a meal washing the dishes is the ministry of facilitation providing a context in which people feel loved and welcome and where God's spirit can be at work in their lives hospitality is very ordinary business But in its ordinariness is its real worth. Whatever it looks like, your own table is a sacred place. 
And one just as implicated in the lavish nature of God's grace as any other. Your table and who you have gathered around the table is a sight of God's grace. That's what we're going to be talking about this summer. And welcoming people to the table, providing a space to belong. This is what Jesus did his entire life. For Jesus, everywhere he went, gathering around a table, it was this act of grace you know, extended out toward others. And every time God's people gather and welcome people as a church to their table, hospitality is a means of joining God in his mission to the world. In our scripture passage this morning, we find Jesus at dinner. Uh, And this is no surprise, Uh, Israel knew how to feast. All throughout the Old Testament, we have these examples of feast days where God's people would gather to celebrate God's story breaking into the world. And they knew that the feast was not the point of their celebration. The, The feast was merely a means to point them toward the king. But they could celebrate with the best of them. And so this idea of the kingdom as a feast, it didn't actually originate with Jesus. It, was been, it had been around in a while. And so just before the passage that we read starts, Jesus is at a dinner party with some Pharisees. Some teachers of the law says to him, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And so people had this idea kind of embedded in their hearts. And when we talk about the fullness of experiencing God, he says it's like a great feast A place where you can come, where you can be at rest, where you can delight in joy in the fullness of what God has made. Some 700 years before Jesus comes to this dinner party, the prophet of Isaiah describes the salvation of God like this. He writes, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations, and that is this this veil that keeps us separated from one another, the distinctions and the walls that we make up that keep us from experiencing each other as image bearers. He goes on to say, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from the earth. The Lord has spoken And in that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord we trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. And then at the end of the Bible we get this vision uh, that, that the seer John has with an angel says to him, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. It's no accident, given all that background, that Jesus' very first miracle, the time in which he chose to to show the fullness of God breaking into the world in John's gospel, it took place at a wedding feast. And at that wedding feast, the very last thing that Jesus did is that he brought out water and they turned, he turned it into wine and it was seemingly the best wine that they had and it would go on forever, seemingly like as a way of kind of showing that this feast you are meant to joy extends into eternity. So Jesus didn't just proclaim the feast. 
He experienced it with people. He invited people in wherever he went because for Jesus and those who follow him, meals are about way more than food. They are about the grace of the kingdom coming into the world. And Jesus would share this meal and he would share this vision one house at a time, one table at a time. So here he is at the, the dinner party at the home of this prominent Pharisee. They're, they're kind of wondering what it is that he's all about. They're watching Jesus. They're going to see what he, he does. Because for them, meals had become this kind of dividing line, this way of kind of separating people out. Kind of like, you know, a junior high cafeteria. If you go there, like, you know very quickly who's in, who's out. And, and, and that was the way they kind of saw the world. If, if you wanted to get in on the inside... You're going to have to get yourself cleaned up first. That's the way that the Pharisees saw things. You need to get right with God. Which is why we always saw Jesus eating with those who were were sinners and tax collectors. And this was a major source of confusion for the Pharisees. It was puzzling at best. It was scandalous at worst. One biblical scholar described the hospitality culture of Jesus' day like this. Just to kind of get this mindset in, in in our hearts and in our heads. It would be difficult to overestimate the importance of table fellowship for the cultures of the Mediterranean basin in the first century of our era. Mealtimes were more than occasions for individuals to consume nourishment. Being welcomed at a table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become a ceremony richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. Thus, betrayal or unfaithfulness toward anyone without whom one had shared the table was viewed as particularly reprehensible. On the other hand, when persons were estranged, a meal opened the way to reconciliation. And so for the religious leaders, saying no and kind of creating strict boundaries around the table was a way of keeping people out, a way of saying, you are not welcome here, And by extension, you are not welcome in the presence of God. It was almost the exact opposite of Isaiah's vision. But Jesus, as you might guess, he had a whole nother way of seeing things. For him, food, a meal, gathering with people around a table, well, these were signs of God's welcome. They were, they were a way to draw people in to the presence of God. And so he tells them this parable about a nobleman who invites people to a banquet. And the people that he invites, they come up with reasons not to come. They have other priorities. And for centuries, commentators have been kind of divided about whether or not these excuses are legitimate, whether or not they ring hollow or, or worse, whether or not there's some sort of coordinated attempt for all these guests to embarrass the host of the feast. But say you were to give it even the most generous reading and take these excuses as legitimate, the net result is still the same. People aren't coming to the party. People are kept out of this feast. So what does the noble do? Well, first he gets angry. 
But then he reprocesses that anger into grace and he just starts inviting people. He goes out to the streets, he goes out to the hedges, he goes out into the places where people who normally don't get invited to fancy parties either because they don't drive nice cars or wear Tom Ford suits or, or Vera Wayne gowns or whatever it is. People who aren't you know, necessarily waiting with bated breath at the invitation to come in the mail. He goes out to those people and says, you have a place, come, come and be around my table. And when they don't come, because they don't really believe that that invitation extends to them, he compels them to come. And I I don't know if you've ever seen this, but people who are on the outside, they they get used to seeing themselves as unworthy. They get used to, to, to not going into and being seen as welcome in the places where rich people gather and eat at banquets. People who have been on the outside for all of their lives, they need somebody to convince them that there really is a welcome waiting for them. And so why does the king, why does he go through all this trouble? Why does he go to all this convincing, all this time, all this expense, all this energy? Well, it's because he longs to have a full table. See, hospitality is rooted in the character of God. It is a lifestyle of welcoming others, a way of offering yourself to others, a way of drawing them in. And the engine of this parable is simply the nobleman's desire to invite people to have them at his table. It brings him joy to have a full house. He invites some and they don't come. He invites others and they do come. And he keeps on inviting because the banquet isn't full. And over and over again, he just keeps inviting. And the ones who come, they they don't come because they they have figured out that, you know, this is the way to go. They come just because they have been invited. The ones who don't come, they figure out there, they think that the ventures that they're a part of are going to get them that full and abundant life that they're chasing after. But at the end of the story, all the noble wants is to have a full banquet hall. He is the great inviter. Fill the hall. Everyone you can find. This is the scandal of God's grace. And part of the way, part of the reason that Jesus got killed is because of the way that he ate at tables with others and who he did his eating with. There's a great book called A Meal with Jesus. It's really, really short. It's by a guy named Tim Chester. Uh, If you're looking for something to read over the summer, it's it's a great one. But he offers this verbal formula to kind of describe Jesus' mission strategy out in the world. And it hinges around this, a phrase that appears two times in Luke's gospel. The Son of Man came. And the first time, you know, it says the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost in Luke 19. This kind of describes Jesus' mission. This is what Jesus came to do. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is what Jesus did all throughout his life. But then in Luke 7, we also see the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And Chester says this describes how Jesus did his mission. He gathered people around a table. All throughout Luke's gospel, as you see Jesus kind of going from party to party, you realize that this was central to Jesus' understanding of how he was going to accomplish the mission of God. And when you have that in mind, suddenly you see how all throughout the Gospels, when Jesus is gathering with these outsiders everywhere he goes, 
He is simply enacting this parable of the great banquet when God is inviting all people to come to the table. And it's not the button down, it's not the the moralistic types that end up taking up this invitation. It's the ones who are broken, it's the ones who are on the margins. They're the ones who receive this invitation well. But with Jesus, every meal is a gift of grace. There's no way to pay it back, there's no way to earn it. The table is set, all you gotta do is come. Well, that's what Jesus has in mind when he shows up to dinner. He says, God's doing something new. And he's doing it around a table. And so if we're going to practice the way of Jesus, if we're going to receive the welcome that God has for us, it's not just going to transform our hearts, it's actually going to transform our tables as well. We're going to become the kind of people who receive all kinds of people to, into our homes to receive the welcome of God. It's part of the the practice that sets us apart as those who follow Jesus. Because for Jesus, meals were a means of extending grace. And for his church, meals are a way of participating in God's mission to the world. Meals bring mission into the ordinary spaces of life. And the good news is that's where most of us live all the time. But this habit for gathering around the meal, it, it wasn't something that was new Uh, to the church. It it wasn't something that was abnormal. If you read throughout the New Testament, you see this call to practice hospitality pops up again and again. The gospel writers spill a lot of ink just encouraging people to, to practice table fellowship with others. Here's just a couple times that it pops up. The writer of Hebrews says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. No doubt has in mind the story of Abraham being visited by three uh, divine visitors. Paul writes this, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another. And I love this part, without grumbling. I need that, right? You fellow introverts out there, you you feeling it on this one? You're the kind of people who say, Stay as long as you want. And in your head you're thinking, so long as you're out by 9.30. Without grumbling. Paul also writes in Romans, share it with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And every single time he he uses this word practice hospitality, it's the same word, philozania. The the word means the love of stranger, the the immigrant, the outsider, the one who is other, the the refugee. Philozania is the exact opposite of xenophobia, which is the fear of the outsider. And so I think that a simple definition of hospitality is this, expressing the welcome of God to the stranger through ordinary acts of love. And the table is really one of the best ways to do that. But it means that hospitality isn't so much something that you do. It's more a posture of your heart. It's a kind of person that you become. It's a kind of thing that leaks out of your life and then spills into all of your actions moving forward. 
As followers of Jesus, we're invited to continue this practice, and that's what we're going to talk about in the weeks and months ahead, but this is just kind of the 30,000-foot overview to, to kind of get in our minds, in our, in our heads, this, this idea that hospitality is actually something that is rooted in the heart of God. But the reason I think it's so important right now is that in a culture as divided as ours is, hospitality is actually one of the most meaningful and ordinary yet radical things that we can do to take part in some of the healing that goes on in the world. I mean, so often when we think about our mission, practicing the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things, like that's, that's a lot of stuff, right? All things is a lot of things. And it can seem so big, so, so daunting, so, so overwhelming, But what if renewal happens one dinner at a time? What if it happens by meeting with people who aren't like you, who don't look like you, who don't necessarily think like you, who don't listen to the same music you listen to, who don't vote like you, who don't dress like you? And through acts of generosity and grace, you provide a space where God's love can be expressed and received. So I want to get real practical as kind of at the, toward the end of this uh, for a minute and, and offer this clarification that I heard a while back from a presentation on hospitality that I have found very, very helpful, kind of made a light kind of go off in my own head. And it makes this whole enterprise of practicing hospitality, I think, a little less daunting. Uh, I know some of you in the room, you're like, you're hearing this and you're like, ooh, hard pass. I, I, not my deal, welcoming people in, I'm not good at parties, I don't like, you know, the small talk and conversation, I don't know how to do that. But here's the clarification that I would offer for you, and I think it's helpful. Hospitality is not the same thing as entertaining people. And let me be clear about this. I don't mean to say that entertaining is bad uh, at all, like entertaining is great. I'm not making any sort of moral distinction here. But I think we, we put all kinds of pressure on ourselves sometimes because we get the two of these things confused. Uh, it's really easy to kind of get lulled into, you know, the, the HGTV view of the world where everything is perfect and just so, and, you know, you got the, the table and the, the awesome lights and you got, you know, the china set that, that matches and you've got these handwritten, you know, placeholders at the party that have a, a, a sprig of lavender, you know, tied to it. And here's the thing, I, if you have parties like that, like, I want in. Like, invite me, all right? That sounds great. I love me some lavender sprigs. That's all good stuff. But if you think that's what it takes to be hospitable, you, you know, that, like, doesn't apply to, like, 97% of the people on the planet. Like, just can't do that. <laughs> You're going to say, that, well, it's, it's, it's inaccessible. It's not, it's not me. If you are a student, if you have roommates, if you work weird hours, if you have little kids that need to go to bed at a certain time and occasionally need an exorcism, right? You're going to be like, I can't have people over for dinner. I can't do anything like that. You fill in the blank, right? Whatever, whatever sort of thing it is. If you think that's what hospitality is, you're going to think of all the reasons not to do it. But hospitality isn't the same thing as entertaining. Entertaining is exclusive by nature. Uh, You come up with a guest list. You choose who you get to be with, when, and where. Again, that's not a bad thing. It's good to gather with friends. 
But hospitality, by contrast, is about inclusion. It's a posture of invitation where all kinds of people, uh, neighbors, strangers, people you don't know all that well, people who necessarily can't do anything for you, are find, you know, find a place of welcome, find a space at the table. Entertaining has this element of performance, right? It's where you try to impress other people with the, just the right wine pairing or by how many hours you spent getting the crust on your creme brulee just right. Uh, your little blowtorch, you know, all that stuff. Uh, you, you try to get your home just right. But hospitality, by contrast, is about service. It's about a tangible act of love. It's It's when you're more interested in your guests and what they have to offer than you are with what your guests think about you and what you have to offer. It's when you're creating a space for them to just bring the best of who they are. With entertainment, there is this clear line drawn between who is the guest and who is the host. Hospitality kind of tends to blur those lines. It, you, you know, it's, it's washing dishes so other people can have a turn, you know, making the conversation go. And one of the things that I find absolutely fascinating about Jesus is that wherever he goes, he goes as both guest and host. I mean, if you take this dinner party in the parable that, that Jesus is at, it's very clear that Jesus has come as a guest invited to the home of this Pharisee. And yet there's also a very strong sense in which Jesus is the host who is inviting them into something bigger. I think about our partnership with Friends of Refugee in, in Clarkston. You're there. You're going on somebody else's turf. You're a guest. But you're also a host. You're bridging the gap between cultures. You're making this strange and sometimes traumatic place a space of welcome. And you do this by giving and by receiving the hospitality that's offered to you. Or I think about You know, how you find yourself in community groups, whether you are a student and you get dropped off in the same spot every week, or whether you have been hosting people at your house for years, you you come to this space to both give and receive. You come not just to consume, you come to contribute. Because entertaining isn't the same thing as hospitality. Entertaining is sporadic, it's a date on a calendar. And again, not a bad thing. We need to coordinate. We're all busy. But hospitality is a way of life. It's an open door. It's an invitation to come in and make yourself at home, grab something out of the fridge. Entertainment is about reciprocity. It's about this idea of you, you do for me, I'll do for you. And so often in kind of the way that uh, you know, our transactional society works, it's a means of kind of mutually benefiting or, or of taking a step up on the ladder. But hospitality is about generosity. It's about giving to others without necessarily the thought about what you're going to receive in return other than the joy of just being together around the table. Last thing is that entertaining tends to reinforce the social lines that are created in our culture. You go to this party or that party because of who you know. And we, we very rarely travel outside of our social, our, our ethnic, our, our, our uh, socioeconomic, or our educational circles. We tend to draw those things pretty tightly. But hospitality is a means of justice and poor for the marginalized. Earlier, Jesus says in this party... When you have one, don't just invite the people who can pay you back. Invite those who can't. 
And hospitality was already a huge deal in the Middle Eastern culture. But the thing that's so revolutionary about what Jesus does is that he doesn't aim it upward. He aims it downward, which is why he finds himself at all kinds of tables. And here's why that matters. Because a community that practices this kind of hospitality can actually change the world. It's happened before. Through radically ordinary hospitality, this tiny, small sect of people out on the edge of the Roman world in the first century became the dominant religion in Rome by the end of the third century. And it happened without clever marketing strategies. It happened without cool lights and laser shows. It happened without celebrity pastors and savvy social media entrepreneurs. It happened because God, his hospitality got into the hearts of a people. And it spread one house at a time, one table at a time, one meal at a time. So friends, hospitality is the way of Jesus. And what if being part of the renewal of all things simply means opening up your homes and your lives What it means extending an invitation to people who can't do anything for you to help you get ahead in life. And you create a space for them to be them. And you just be you. You love Jesus and trust that that is enough. You create space to listen. To hear. The best way still to get to know people is around a table. So just be who you are and see what the Spirit cooks up in that space. I think about those best moments in my life. There's always something of a table involved, whether that's in a spectacular Italian neighborhood or whether that's in the backyard with friends and the masks get off and we just start getting real with each other. Or it's my first date with Jill, grabbing a burger at 8,000 feet at a, a a way station for uh, ranchers in the Sierra Nevadas. Sometimes it's with people who don't want anything to do with God, but they're a neighbor. And they're looking for salvation on whatever terms they can imagine that by. But in order to truly get the meal into us and to truly enjoy it, God has to feed us first. And that's why he is inviting us always to the table. So that in himself, he can feed us with something of himself. Something to drive out the darkness within us. Something where we can receive his grace. And so friends, you are invited to that table. 